Just before we get started, I want to share with you one of our sponsors and a secret to our success. I don't know about you, but I got into commercial property to build a more passive income. But how do you manage multiple clients and contracts in multiple buildings without spending all of your time on endless spreadsheets? After a lot of research, we use Office R&D, the best flexible workspace software to manage our CMO buildings, co-working and flexspace. For starters, the automated bill run saves hours of work and means we don't miss any revenue. Plus, I can get many reports on the performance of each product and location. But here's the real clincher. We all need to focus on customers more and our clients can now use our app to access buildings, book meeting rooms, review their invoices. And there's a great feature where they can interact with our member community. And this is all managed from within the Office R&D platform. There's a partner link in the show notes so you can book a demo. Take a look, see how the system can improve your operations and customer experience. Right, make yourself comfortable. Let's get on with today's show. If you're going to go and do a full refit, then you might increase your capital costs to fit out well and with energy efficiency in mind, but that's going to impact your ongoing costs. Welcome back to CPI Podcast. I'm your host, Jerry Alexander. There's lots of good things happening out there just now. Several of our CPI clients are actually in the final throes of getting keys for CMO buildings, and I'm really excited about that. Some of these projects we've been working on for months, and others have come more easily. It's making for a very interesting upcoming period for our advanced masterminders as we focus more on the fit-out and use of tech and systems for these multi-let beauties. It may seem the market's difficult to work out right now, but there are still good deals to be had. I just wanted to share that with you because there's nothing quite like hearing about what's actually happening out there in the field right now. Okay, in this episode, I want to explore the ongoing expenses for commercial buildings. I want to give you a picture of what to account for when you're evaluating a new project. I did actually do an episode on this way back in summer 2020. It was called Deal Appraisal Operational Costs for Commercial Property and CMO Deals. Catchy title, I know. But actually, quite a lot has changed since then. And in addition to that, I've been asked about it a few times recently. So I felt it was time for me to revisit this topic. In particular, I'm going to talk about some of the impacts from recent price increases. And also, I want to introduce you to some of the compliance elements I didn't really talk about last time. They don't all have a significant cost, at least not a day-to-day basis. But some do need weekly testing. Others are maybe more biannually or even over longer periods of time, but they do have an impact on costs and not least on time costs. So I wanted to explore that with you today as well. Now, don't worry, you don't have to write all these down. And anyway, I'm probably not going to remember everything. But at the end, I'll give you details on where you can get a copy of our typical expenditure list. So that'll give you a few of the things you can look at when you're evaluating your own projects. Operational costs are only part of the deal analysis equation. And the other element which we often get excited about is the income potential. But of course, there's always going to be some outgoing costs and it's important we look at those too. So before we dive in, let's just talk about some single let versus multi-let and full insuring and repairing leasing versus license to occupy stuff. (laughs) Let's go through three different scenarios. If you're new to commercial property and you've been attracted by comments that the tenants pay for everything, then I'm sorry to burst your bubble, but there are some costs as investors we can't avoid. Now, a single-let property with a 10-year full repair and insurance lease will have relatively little ongoing costs that aren't the responsibility of the tenant or reclaimable from the tenant. 
An example being building insurance, which you might want to organise yourself, but then reclaim from the tenant. But even in this situation, you won't be entirely immune from some costs, such as somebody to manage the property, look after the accounts and the finance costs. Granted, though, you're probably not going to be paying for the milk in the fridge. The second scenario is where you have a multi-let property or an estate with communal areas. All the clients might be on leases, which may be IRI leases, which is internal repairing and insuring, so they're responsible for the internal space. But as landlord, you might be responsible for the common areas and paying for any associated repairs, maintenance, ongoing costs and so forth. However, oftentimes these costs are reclaimed from the clients or tenants, if you have some, that is. It's often done on a proportional basis. So, for example, if one client occupies 30% of the overall property, then they can be liable for 30% of the running costs. Sounds great. The selling agent for this collection of properties will tell you, don't worry, it's all covered by the clients. But there are a couple of quirks you need to know about. Firstly, if you have some vacant units, you might have to pick up the tab proportional elements of the costs will be apportioned to those units. Who's going to pay for them? It's going to have to be you. The second nuance to be aware of is that there might be a service charge cap deep within the lease documentation which will put you on the hook for costs should they go beyond a certain point. So let's recap on those two. Scenario one, single let property with full repairing and insuring lease resulting in limited ongoing expenditure. Or scenario two, a multi-let property with leases in place. Some costs are unavoidable and need to be factored in, particularly if you have any voids, which I would say is going to be inevitable. Both of these scenarios will have times when you need to find a new tenant. Either the previous one is left on good terms, great, or they may have gone bust or flitted in the middle of the night. Either way, we need to find a new tenant or pay someone else to find a new tenant for us. Plus, we need to cover the costs of a vacant unit, which isn't zero or anywhere close to it. These costs or expenses don't happen all the time, but when they do, they can be quite painful and reduce your overall long-term net return on your investment. So that's these two different scenarios. And lots of churn with least space can mean less return. Lots of churn while you're building up a multi-let license building can mean increased return. Interesting. Which leads me on to the third scenario. A CMO property with licenses or potentially flexible leases. And with this flex-based environment, the attraction of this offer for clients is simplicity and certainty of costs, plus the ability to adapt and change their requirements depending on the state of business. The quid pro quo is that this comes at a premium. You and I as an operator or building owner, which I hope is your main aim, then take on more responsibility for the day-to-day -day operations, but enjoy the upside. For the rest of this podcast, I'm going to be talking about expenditure relating mainly to the third scenario, where we take on more of that responsibility, ultimately for a higher return. But don't forget, if you have a multi-let property with leases, these things will still need to be carried out. You might be able to claim a large proportion of the cost back. And then the other important thing to remember is that inevitably you will have vacant buildings returned and almost all of these costs could kick in. Okay, let's get into the nitty gritty. 
I'll cover some of the compliance stuff in a minute, but firstly, let's just run through some of the costs of providing a serviced or a managed workspace. And let's start with the big one, straight up front, energy costs. This includes electric, lighting and heating and the maintenance thereof. You might have gas heating or electric heating or even biomass heating. We actually have all three just now. We even had oil heating in the past, but we've been trying to phase all of our fossil fuel use out and now only have two buildings with gas heating. So originally when I did my numbers back in the day, before the energy crisis, <laughs> I used to allow for around about a pound a foot for electricity and something similar for heating, maybe £1.50. If it was electric heating, it would have been near £3 a square foot. And that would have made a calculation of around £2.50 to £3.50 per square foot per year for those energy costs. So if you had a 10,000 square foot building, you might say, well, it's going to be 25 to 35 grand to run it. However, that well and truly went out of the window over the last 18 months. Now, let me just talk you through actually some actual numbers here. Natural gas futures, which are measured in pence per therm, used to trend around about 50 pence a therm, sometimes higher, sometimes lower. But that was the kind of long term average. But then they shot up and peaked at the end of August last year, 2022, at over 700 pence per therm. So that's from 50p to £7. <laughs> Since the beginning of this year, 23, that has dropped below 200 pence and then actually all the way down to just under 55 pence in June this year. So they've gone from 50 all the way up and then all the way back down to the high 50s. Now, they're currently sitting between 60 and 80. And obviously, that could change, but there seems to be a bit more stability and that, that long-term trend seems to be coming back. But there's very little reflection of that in the prices at the gate. I'm going to resist going down that political rabbit hole right now. But nevertheless, the upshot of it all is their prices are effectively double of what they used to be. So instead of £2.50, you might be looking at £5 a square foot when you're working out the cost of running the building. And that is generally on the net area. Depends how efficient your building's been. So there's there's a few variances there, right? So take it with a pinch of salt, but it's kind of it's a good number to have. It's also worth pointing out we've invested quite a lot of money in reducing our energy costs, particularly around lighting and increase, increasingly around building controls, heating controls, that sort of thing. So if you're building out a redevelopment and you're looking at buying a new build or a second-hand building right now and redeveloping, you can factor these things in. I think it's an important point to make that this pricing affects existing buildings that aren't being changed. If you're going to go and do a full refit, then you might increase your capital costs to fit out well and with energy efficiency in mind, but that's going to impact your ongoing costs. Therefore, a more energy efficient and better performing building will cost less to run, won't it? So you have to remember that these numbers are really based on me looking at buildings we exist, we have existing and maybe new ones that we're not going to do anything to. But if you're going to do full redevelopment, that will affect your efficiency or should do. Right, phew. Let's move on from energy, which is usually where your biggest cost is, to people, another fairly big cost. I often talk about having a building of a certain size so that it can afford a person, an individual, to look after that building on a day-to-day -day basis. For me, that's been a roughly 10,000 square foot gross. 
and they're there to look after your customers, to give them a better experience, to give them some hospitality, to give your space personality, but also to take the pressure off of you because there's somebody in there looking after them. But if you're looking at a small building, you might work out quite quickly that actually putting a person there might make the numbers unworkable. Now, depending on where you are in the world, you'll know how much the right person will cost or you'll be able to find out and then put that into your calculations. Ultimately, this will affect your potential offer to customers. And I think this is one of the key elements of ongoing costs that we need to be honest about. We need to be honest about all of them, but this one in particular, because it has such an impact on your potential offer. If you've been using the market analyzer, which you'll get on the website, to work out where the gaps are in your market, and you find a building that is too small to sustain an individual or even a team, then wrapped up in this part of the equation is the reality of whether you can offer what you think the market needs with the building that you've found. In other words, if you've worked out by looking at the market that actually the hospitality element is the bit that nobody else is offering and that's the bit people are looking for, then make sure your building's big enough to sustain somebody to actually offer that hospitality. Otherwise, you're sharing your overhead cost over a much smaller square footage, which isn't good maths. This is one I think most people push to the side when they're doing the numbers, especially if it's the first building, because people often say, I'll go in and manage it. I'll run my business from there, which is fine. But if you're going to go for scale at some point, you probably won't keep your business there. And then how will the building perform without that, effectively that cheap support, that subsidised support? This part is really important and can make or break a deal, particularly in the long term. All right, let's push on with a few other expenses. I'm going to put some together here. Cleaning costs, including not just the physical cleaning, but also the consumables, such as paper towels, bin bags, toilet roll, cleaning fluids, and all that sort of lovely stuff. And you might have a contractor that does all this, or you might get involved in elements such as purchasing. Either way, it always costs more than I'd like to think. And don't forget, in there, there's going to be sanitary bins, air fresheners, welcome mats, carpet cleaning, and window cleaning. That's just the cleaning. Then, of course, there's the waste disposal. How many different bins do you need? Commercial bins, by the way. That might be partly determined by the type of client you have, how many there are, and what types of waste they produce. If you try and specialise with a certain type of customer, that might mean you need different types of waste disposal on offer. For instance, you might have clinical waste. Interesting. Just have to think about that. We have generally a general waste bin and a recycling bin, which takes most things, plastics, um, metals, uh, cardboard, paper, all that sort of stuff. So moving on, if you're offering any kind of refreshments, you'll need to factor in coffee, tea, milk, perhaps a water cooler and regular maintenance and filters or actual water bottles for water coolers. You see, it all adds up, doesn't it? And we haven't finished the list yet. It's worth it, though. Some more quick fire ones. Finding customers through ongoing marketing, whether that's signage or website maintenance, etc. Any delinquent pairs or chasing debt. And of course, admin and accountancy and any software that accompanies that. Then there's building insurance and employer's insurance. Security alarm. Fire alarm. Both need monitoring and maintenance. Do you have any landscaping to take care of? And if you're not directly taking care of it because it doesn't belong to you specifically and you're on an estate, 
where there's going to be a service charge for taking care of the landscaping, you factor that into your numbers. And I guess while I'm on that subject, there is sometimes a service charge in a building. So if you have a couple of floors in a building, then you're going to have communal areas that will attract a service charge for you, even though you own that part of the building. Okay, next big cost can be business rates or property taxes, depending where you are. And oftentimes these are passed on to the client. Certainly that's what we do. But when there's no client, there's no one to pass them on to. So when your building's operating well, this isn't really a big worry. However, ironically, when the building isn't performing well and you're in the UK and you're at the start of the process, these costs can become quite high. It's mad, in fact. The tax on the building effectively goes up when it's not performing well, at least from your cost point of view, and it comes down when you've got lots of clients. There are ways to try and mitigate your rates, to manage rates and local business taxes, and that is something that we would encourage you to learn about. It's something that we talk about a lot with our consultancy clients so they can get a good handle and understanding of it because you can save money by understanding the allowances. The one people often talk about is ongoing building maintenance, of course, and this covers general repairs, storm damage, waterproofing, wear and tear of communal areas, and all that sort of stuff. And funnily enough, it's only part of the picture, right? But it's one that people talk about as the main building cost, but actually it's only one of them. And the big last one, or the last big one, is internet provision and its ongoing management. This element too has changed since I did my last podcast about expenses. You see, my personal view is that the internet is becoming more and more like a utility and customers are expecting it. And they're expecting good quality internet to be flowing just like the water and the heating. Coupled with that, technology has improved and it's become more accessible for operators to provide internet effectively less sophisticated, less expensive systems can allow for better sharing these days and access at a more competitive price point. So what had to be sophisticated before and therefore cost more money is now becoming more mainstream. Now having said that, it is still a minefield and you need your wits about you and the right amount of knowledge to be able to sift through the many, many options and the many salespeople out there. This subject could easily be a podcast series on its own. And by the time you'd finished recording the series, the content of the first episode would probably be out of date. (laughs) Suffice to say, I'm not going to go into too much more detail than that, other than to say, as a general rule of thumb, a gigabit line, which is a thousand megabits, you might not need that much, but it's what we're putting in the standard now, it's going to cost you around about 400 to 800 pounds per month, including some kind of router and switch. There's that on that too. Now, some locations might have it for less, some locations maybe more. What I would suggest when you're looking at buying a property is actually do a bit of research first. How much is the internet going to cost? Get a quote for that postcode. Tony Freefa I've had on the podcast a number of times. He would give you a price. So you just reach out, give the postcode, say, look, how much is it actually going to cost? Just a bit of research to do before you commit, because sometimes it's not easy to get internet into certain buildings, especially of that kind of size. Okay, 
I'm not going to leave you completely high and dry though about that one. I am planning on coming back to this topic on an episode fairly soon on the kind of the setup of the internet stuff, which is a good point for me to say that if you've not subscribed to the podcast, make sure you do so. Then you get this kind of information as and when it comes out. Right. The one utility we did miss out was water and wastewater costs. There, I've said it. You're going to have to put a number in for that one too. (laughs) I've covered most now. There's a couple I missed out. For instance, if you're going to have more than one building, you're probably going to need some head office costs to think about and there's going to be more personnel involved. As you build a business to make it more passive for you, you'll need more skilled people to look after operations. But of course, that does come at a cost. But you share that amongst other buildings. Right, I promised to introduce a little bit of compliance, not necessarily because it costs a lot, but it does have an impact over time. And it's actually one of those topics that can make even the most detailed person fall asleep. <laughs> so I'm just going to quickly rattle through a few. I'm not going to go. I'm not going to do it as a separate podcast because I think it would fill several. And as I say, it's just mind-numbing stuff. We have got lists for people that need them. I'm going to give you a wee taster, though, from the point of view of those ongoing costs for your buildings, which, of course, is our main subject today. So if you're still with me, by the way, well done. You're clearly serious about doing this, so don't forget we are here to help guide you through this stuff. The podcast gives me an opportunity to share with you quite a lot of information, but it doesn't really allow me to help you with the implementation. If you're getting close or indeed ready to take those next steps with commercial, then reach out and we can have a conversation about your plans and whether we can help. Okay, moving on. There's two elements to compliance. Firstly, building and developing a compliant environment for your future customers. That's number one. Secondly, there's operating a safe and compliant environment for your customers once they've moved in. The design element of compliant is the middle part of that skill set that you need to be able to get into property. So for instance, you need the first skill set, which is the ability to find and finance deals, to analyze deals. Then once you've bought them, you need to be able to work through design, compliance, and optimizing your deals. And then the third skill set is the operating of those businesses. Sorry, the operating of those business spaces. And this is really where I think it's important to understand where your skill set sits and where you need to get support. So for instance, when you're talking about the design element, we're talking about things like distance to fire exits, the number of toilets that are needed or to be compliant, the fire alarm setup, the smoke detectors, etc. Most of us are going to seek outside help for that. And that's fine. That's really what the professionals are there for. But over time, you'll build up a bit of experience and you'll be able to understand how these things go together to be able to price up buildings when you're looking at them on a more back of a fag pack basis because you've kind of worked out what these numbers are going to be but we're here to talk about compliance on an ongoing basis so once the building's been built out there's various recommended sometimes even dare i say it statutory requirements for ensuring the building remains compliant and one of those would be annual fire assessments to make sure the building and the egress from the building is still suitable coupled with that you'll have Fire extinguishers, which will need annual checking, sometimes replacing, discharging. There'll be weekly fire alarm tests. And coupled with this, you might want to do emergency lighting tests. We do this weekly and every six months, you need to check or you might want to check 
with some stronger testing about things such as battery drain down. And that's when you effectively flick the switch, check the emergency lights work without any mains, and that they don't last for just four minutes. <laughs> that the emergency lights actually last for a substantial enough time that people can get out of the building and they remain compliant. So that's some of the fire stuff. As I say, not always a huge cost, but there is a time implication in there. And if you're not doing it, somebody else has to do it and you're going to have to pay them to do it. Another compliance cost that you may not have thought about is water flushing and Legionnaire's testing. So water flushing can involve clearing out full tanks and flushing out any dead legs. That's where you've got a section of pipe, perhaps an old section, that doesn't actually go anywhere anymore and it's been capped off. But it is a potential area where water might stagnate and not circulate. So these things actually need flushed out. You need to get something on the end of that pipe that will allow you to flush it out. And part of the Legionnaire's test is to make sure that the temperatures coming out of the taps is correct. Some of you will be familiar with this, though, through buy to let and HMO investing. It's always good to compare notes, though. So moving on, asbestos management, five-yearly electrical certification, PAT testing, lift and elevator servicing and testing, plus gas safety certificates and air conditioning checks. They can all add costs to your budget. The thing is, not every building has all these different elements, but some of these elements are consistently throughout all of the buildings. Don't let this list overwhelm you because it would be rare that you'd have a building that needs all of this stuff. I just want to convey to you that some of these buildings will cost more than you think to run and I'd rather you understood that before a deal rather than after it. This is where commercial property can seem a little bit further away than say a simple buy to let. But it's only as we've grown that more and more of these things become part of our day-to-day -day operations. For instance, before 2020, we didn't have any buildings with lifts. Now we do, so it's been added in. It's important to remember that while some of this stuff can poop people off, it's a bit like learning a new language. Once you get the basics, the rest of it comes a bit more naturally. So don't be put off by the mumbo-jumbo and give yourself time to learn this new language. Because once you can speak fluent commercial, there's a whole new world out there. And if you want to learn French or Spanish or even Mandarin, then sure, you're going to have to learn a few things in the classroom to start with. But there's nothing quite like getting out there to talk with the locals. Everything then comes on leaps and bounds. It's just the same in commercial. Yeah, you might sound a bit funny to start with. Maybe your accent won't be quite right. But they'll respect you for trying. And there'll be a few that will be encouraging and want to help you. Now remember, before I sign off, there will be a spreadsheet covering most of the things we've discussed today. So, you have a blueprint there for potential building expenditure. Take a note of this URL. It's the usual HTTPS blah 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 forward slash slash bit.ly. So it's bit.ly forward slash CPI dash cost sheet. So it's bit.ly slash CPI dash cost sheet. And you'll be able to download most of the expenditure stuff that I've gone through um, with you today. I hope you found this useful. It's one of those more in-depth episodes that if you've made it to this stage of the podcast, congratulations. But I know that means you're serious. So speak to you next time. Enjoy your week and make sure you get in the commercial swim. Hi. 
Hi there. I hope you're enjoying the content delivered on the CPI podcast. Even though it's free to listen to, it actually takes quite a bit of time and financial commitment to deliver each and every episode. Did you know that by leaving a positive written review, you, yes, you will have a direct impact on the visibility of the podcast. And that's really important because by reaching a wider audience, it helps our team to continually improve the overall content that we deliver to you week after week. For some of you, leaving a review will be second nature, but for others, it might be your first one. Open your podcast app, pick the CPI podcast and search for previous reviews. And on iTunes in particular, click to look at all of the reviews and then you'll see an option to leave a written review. Go on, it'll only take two minutes and it'll really make our day. And we genuinely read every single one of them.